0: We are facing a mental health crisis and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at betterhelp.com. Use the promo code solvinghealthcare to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's betterhelp.com promo code solving healthcare. COVID has affected us all and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca.
1: Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Karamante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome back, everybody. Qualcast Nation. I am... Jazzed up, like my jazz hands are up right now, which is weird because I'm just talking to you, um, about this episode with Roger Martin. But first, I want to tell you a couple things. We just finished Black History Month, did a couple shows and recasts related to anti-Black racism, and it has produced a ton of opportunities to be able to speak out about this to different organizations and I just want to say, if you guys are looking for a keynote speaker or somebody to speak on this issue, it's been a true privilege to be able to advocate and and do do my part. So reach out to me at quadcast99 at gmail.com or look at any link at solvinghealthcare.ca. Next, the episode with Dr. Fung and Dr. Tucker looking at lifestyle modifications for uh Improving your cancer outcomes linked up also with the continuous glucose monitoring episode has been a mad hit, a mad hit. So I just want to make sure that you guys know, go to solvinghealthcare.ca backslash cancer and be able to see the full episode with the Q&A. doctor Fung and Dr. Tucker hit it out of the park. The feedback's been incredible for real. OK, I can't tell you how much of a privilege it was to talk to Roger Martin. This guy is a pioneer. I will, I'll go ahead and say this. He is probably one of the greatest minds in terms of how to come up with solutions that you could come across from our nation. Like, this guy is brilliant. He's the former dean at the Rotman School of Management. He's won the Global Dean of the Year by Poets and quartz He's produced over 12 books and his latest one, When More Is Not Better. Um, this guy is, for lack of a better word, a genius. And the reason I wanted to get him on the show is he talks about how to come up with solutions using integration. How can you learn from other areas of arts, science, sport, and bring solutions to whatever issues that you have at bay? And I like this because... COVID has re- required a lot of creative thinking. How do we come up with solutions quickly to get us, our patients safer and also get us back to normal life? And the frameworks that we talk about on how to come up with solutions, I, I, I get super excited. It might seem a little dry at the beginning, guys, but hang in there, guys. It is stuff that will alter the way you think these approaches are things that we could be teaching our kids at early ages to think better, to think more critically, and to come up with solid solutions to problems. So without further ado, my man, Roger Martin. Roger, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on the show, Dr. K. Oh, really appreciate you coming. I, I was, I've been giddy about this all day. So <laughs> maybe, maybe Roger, um... How did you get into this concept of in- integrative thinking? Like, what was your path to get you uh, along these lines? Sure. Well,
2: it, it's a it is a long, a long and winding path. So uh, it it really started uh, in 1991, and in 1991, I was uh, one of the four guys running. Uh, a kind of startup insurgent uh, strategy consulting firm called monitor company in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. And, um, uh, and I was fascinated with the question of why. So we came into existence only in 1983. So we were the smallest of the players, McKinsey, 1920, Boston consulting group, 1963, Maine, 1973, us in 1983. We were all, all young in our, in our, uh, Uh, I guess by, by 1991, all in our like early thirties. And I kept, I sort of was intrigued by the question of why on earth would these firms hire little us rather than big established somebody else. And, and I came to the conclusion that the only thing they hired us for was for problems that kind of slopped messily across boundaries, so if it was they were going to do a Salesforce reorganization, they went to McKinsey who had done 500 of them before and they, they, could, uh, uh, they could do that. Um, or if it, if, if it was strategy in a situation or an industry that had been done before and you just wanted something like that, they would do that. But if it was sort of a messy problem, like hmm, this new thing called cellular tele- telephony is coming along, how will that develop in Korea? Right. Like nobody had an answer to that. You had to think about it sort of from first principles and think about it. Was it just a technology question or a consumer question or, or a kind of a government relations type, type question? What, what would the regulatory story? It would be a whole bunch of things and it would be, it would be messy. And so I, so I sort of came to a, a conclusion then that that had something to do with it, that uh, not everybody was willing to, Uh, take a situation where you had to understand, let's say in Korean uh, (laughs) cellular, you'd have to understand some things about the technology, some things about consumers, some things about Korea and Korean culture, some things about finance, uh, some things about a lot of things, and somehow come up with a a view of how those things are going to unfold in the future. So that just put an idea in my head um, and then I started watching highly successful CEOs um, and tried to figure out well what was it about them that made them successful. Um, and my my sort of my 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 first pass at it was God, I couldn't I couldn't tell kind of what because they seemed to do all sorts of different things. It wasn't a pattern of the things that they, they did. Um, but then it dawned on me that maybe um, they did different things because they were all in different contexts. So Korean Cellular was a different context than whatever Jack Walsh at, uh, at GE or Izzy Sharp at Four Seasons. Uh, and so if I looked at what they did, it was too context-specific, but perhaps there was a pattern of thinking. mm mm-hmm. And so that's when I sort of honed in on that. That wasn't until literally, you know, uh, probably 15 years later. So this is an, an example of how things take a long time to, to fruition. And so I started studying the patterns of thinking that these highly successful leaders uh, did. And, and interestingly enough, it came back to the insight about why they hired us. Um, and it was, it was that these highly successful leaders... Uh, when they faced either or choices, is he sharp? Should I build small roadside hotels, which was the first four season, was the four seasons of motor in, if you can, if you can, uh, uh, believe it 15 bucks a night, uh, or big city center convention hotels, uh, uh, which is third hotel was what's now the Sheridan on, uh, in uh, downtown, uh, uh, Toronto. Um, uh, Rather than saying, I have to pick one of these others, they would use that to spur themselves to come up with a better model. And, and I said, Whoa, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And I delved more into that and, and came to the conclusion that that was a rare thing. That's why they were highly successful. Like if every executive did that as a you know, cha-cha matter, of course, uh, they wouldn't be successful. It's a rare thing. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time diagnosing it and, and wrote a book uh, in 2007 called The Opposable Mind that sort of talked about uh, this being the only thing that I could find consistent among successful, successful uh Uh, People. Then I spent ten years with a bunch of colleagues figuring out, well, how do you do it to create the practice for doing it? And wrote another book with one of those colleagues, Jennifer Riel, called Creating Great Choices in 2017. That said, okay, if you want to do it, here's the steps you take to do it. So it was a kind of it was kind of a long uh, long journey that was spurred by kind of as I imagine most of these things are by sort of a mystery. I was sort of mystified by something, and when I'm mystified by something, I Try to
1: figure it out. I fall in. I, I, I mean, I, I think people will, will see my enthusiasm of how brilliant this is. Like, it's intuitive when you say it, but it's not, like, as you said, it's a kind of a rare approach. It's because so much, so many of us are so used to that, as you mentioned, the either or. It's got to yeah. be option A versus option B and not looking at the components within A that you would probably want, and the components of B, that you could maybe put together into a beautiful uh, option C, which, you know, right. creates wind wins. So it's like same principles in negotiation. Um, and the reason why I think we really, really need to emphasize this, especially in the era of COVID, is because we are very black and white with our approaches. It's very, as I mentioned, A or B. And yeah. so, and- we We're taught that. I mean, I think the
2: the important thing to recognize is the degree to which, if you put this lens on and then say, okay, what's the main stream of our teaching, like vis-a-vis what I've just talked about? And I think it's fair to say the answer is the opposite, Mm -hmm. right? There's a right answer and a wrong answer, Right. And your job as a student is to write down the right answer so you get a check mark rather than a red red x and you get the marks associated with with uh it, with that um we're we're just we're just taught that we're also taught certainty right? mm-hmm. we're taught that there is a certain right answer and a certain uh wrong answer, and that's what you you uh uh stick with and mm-hmm. and uh, you know and and you know, it from the medical uh, kind of industry, I often use the, the uh, example of peptic ulcers, right? For literally decades, we had a theory that was right, that said peptic ulcers were caused by excess stomach acid. And the, the solution is bland diets. Uh, and if it gets bad uh, enough, you go in and chop out a hunk of the stomach that's ulcerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right, and th- that was viewed as right. It was taught as right. It was not taught as this is pretty confusing, and this is the best answer we've come up with uh, uh, to date. Right, and it took uh, Warren and Marshall, the crazy Australians, to literally, you know, Marshall grew himself a, a, an ulcer and cured it with an antibiotic to de- to finally get an article published in a medical journal. Uh, because all of his articles were rejected before, because he was wrong, mm-hmm. um, and and so yeah, I, th- I think we're taught that you that the goal is to get the right answer. Uh, once you get to the right answer, you should defend the right answer against all comers, right? Because it's right, mm-hmm. uh, and you wouldn't want a wrong answer to take precedence of the right answer, uh, and and so other answers are essentially we're taught again we're not taught this explicitly it's implicitly we're taught implicitly that other answers are the enemy their trouble their problem they should be defeated they should be brushed under the rug all of all of those those things instead of imagine being taught from an early age like kindergarten um even though this is hard right there are actually very few right answers uh, in the the world. They're just better ones and worse ones. Mm -hmm. And your job in life is to get to better answers. And regardless of how good your answer is that you come up with, there's probably a better one lurking out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And you should have a thinking process that, that, that is forever searching for those better answers. And you know what your biggest friend is in finding a better answer? Curiosity. A opposing model. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a yeah, so, but it's an opposing and, model. But, that's raw materials. That, that's just literally coming on, like, you know, if you're, you know, I, you know, I don't know what, you know, kind of uh, making steel, you come upon a pile of, of iron ore. <laughs> it's like, holy smokes. I can make more steel right? Mm-hmm. because I've found this an opposing model is a treasure trove of different logical structures that are different than your logical structures. And, and what you want to do is, is mine that. So, so think about that. Think about a little five-year-old or six year, old or 6 6 year old coming to school and being taught there are, aren't right answers and wrong answers. The goal is never to get the right answer. The goal is to get a better and more useful answer. No matter how good and useful that answer is, there can be a better one out there. And the best source of finding that is to listen carefully for opposing uh, models. Models that are similar to you are kind of useless because you're not going to learn anything from them. Uh, But those opposing ones, they're great. And so when you find one, you should embrace it uh if it exists in a person, because models tend to exist in a person's opinion, say, well, what about this? What about the- why do you think that? Uh what leads you to that that uh conclusion? Mine it for everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then you would you would grow up being a a model builder, not a model chooser. Mm-hmm. And you might say, oh, you know, ha Roger, you know, you can't teach five and six year olds that. And to be honest, I didn't think you could either,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but we started teaching. We, we started believing that you could teach high school students that, but they'd have the mental facilities then to engage in this kind of thinking. And, and, and we started teaching teachers and we'd have teachers coming to our, 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 uh, I think sessions, uh, who were teaching grade three and four, uh, uh, students. And they'd say, you know, my students can do this. And we'd like, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure they're ready for it. And Mm -hmm. we were like, so wrong. And they were like, so (laughs) right. Uh, And now it's all the way down to kindergarten, uh, kindergarten kids. And, uh, and they're remarkable. They can do it. uh, They can do it like falling off a log, basically.
1: Maybe Uh, maybe even Roger, like if we can think of a, like a concrete example for like, like we have a lot of young healthcare professionals listening to this and they have young families. And, and I, I personally love this integrative approach because it, it breeds innovation too. Like it bre- it uses your creative side of your, of your, your, your brain to be able to come up with solutions that benefit from like, like with real creative uh, solutions. So Maybe if we could even think of an example, whether any school-age kid. How about, how about this know, one? To... How,
2: how about this one? Medical one. Uh, the anti-vax movement. <laughs> right. Okay. And we did this in a in a in a session with a bunch of healthcare professionals. We put that on the table as the uh, the challenge that there are there are people who. Uh, Believe fervently. I suspect you're one of them. That that vaccinating for a bunch of things is is kind of really, uh, really important. Uh, it's a core public health uh, thing, and this was all long before COVID and COVID vaccination. Uh, but then there are these other people who believe that uh, you know your kid will get autism from uh, from them, and and uh, generally speaking, they're they're uh, they're they're dangerous. So we have those opposing. Uh, models and, and we have this this vaccine question. And when we were teaching it, we had one one of the surgeons in the in the in the class sort of say, "There is no vaccine question, <laughs> right?" The you know I don't know why we're using it. There is no vaccine question, and we and we said, "Well, well then why are why is the anti-vax movement growing, not not uh, uh, not shrinking, right?" And you know the, the the reason is because the vaccination people just say my model is right and I must crush your model, mm-hmm. rather than understanding uh, kind of what uh, uh, kind of what the anti-vax uh, movement is 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 about. And so we we had them tear apart both both models to find out what what mattered about uh, the models and what mattered about the models to to the, the the, you know, docs t- traditionally, uh, was, well, there's strong medical science behind it. What mattered to the anti-vax people was control. Mm, right. Like the it, 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 yeah. It was choice and, and, and control. And, and once, once, uh, once you got there, um, you could imagine solutions, uh, that were not the solutions we're contemplating, right. Which is doing what? Like, Reducing choice and control. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. will we will send the police to your door, door and vaccinate you or you can't bring your kid to school. You know, um, so uh, but it was interesting, the reaction was was there is no vax vaccination controversy. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Because a scientific model says says it's settled completely.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the scientific model actually only has some somewhat something to do, not everything to do with with the the reality that's out in the out in the world uh, world now, which is rising uh, anti anti vaccine movement.
1: No, I, I mean it's it's beautiful. It's a, it's a dissecting where the core issues are from both sides, and to to try and find that mutual solution. Okay, maybe you can walk through Roger like. Like, because you, you, it sounds like there are definitive steps for having that integrative approach. Like, are there some steps that are, that come to mind to be able to be, that any of us could go through to to come up with these solutions?
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, and not, not to stoop to uh, trying to sell books, but, but I mean, the good news is, is after 10 years of hard work, um, we have a, very very simple to use methodology in the second book the creating great choices so right, we're going
1: to promote all of that beautifulness on our uh, on the show notes my friend
2: yes. uh, so anybody who who says oh roger went too fast over that or whatever just just get uh, and the and little charts and everything are there but so okay so step 1 step 1 is is to take the two models and don't allow them to be mushed to the middle push them to the, uh, to the extreme because what often happens is in a desire, and I'm in a dialogue right now with a scholar friend of mine who keeps trying to do this. He says, no, 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 we're really close together. We're re- it's just little semantic. Diff- no, 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 that's not, how, that's not how you get the most from it. The most is you s- allow them to be very far uh, apart, right? Um, and so it's, it's, uh, vaccination is dangerous and bad and, uh, and risks the lives of uh, our children vaccination uh, is is absolutely key to, to, uh, to public health and any deviation from it uh, uh, damages herd immunity to our great peril boom, does those then then you take each of the models uh, one at a time and what I say is you fall in love with the model right <laughs> you say I, I love this model this is awesome and 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 what I say when you fall in love, uh, what happens? Two things: the person in which you're, you're in love with could is perfect, and, and there's nothing about them that that uh, <laughs> that you think is bad, right? Yep. And you don't think about anybody else, right? That's mm-hmm. falling falling love. So fall in love with 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 the the model, and then ask how it works for the various stakeholders in the model. Who's involved in the model? So how does it work for the 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 parent with a, a child making, making uh, that choice? How does it work for the public health uh, 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 officials? How does it, how does it work for the, you like know, their the perspective? Yeah. The community, the community. Yeah. And, and, but say, how does that model produce the outcome that they are seeking? Right. By what mechanisms does it? So, so, so you know, kind of giving complete control uh, over vaccination to the hands of the of the person. Well, for the, the for the parent, what gives them is a sense that they can do whatever they want, and they're they're in in uh, uh, con, uh, control, etc. Then you go to the. Then I say, forget about that and fall in love with the other model and figure out how that that uh, that model works. Right? Mm-hmm. And and then so that's uh, you know kind of first push the models out to figure out how each of them works, fall in love sequentially uh, with them. Then take those two pictures of how those models work, and ask you know what what would we love to keep from from those models? And if you say everything, I say ah oh, come on come on. Well, like if you could only pick. Kind of, kind of a, a, a smaller number. What, what are the things you'd really, really want, and what are the things that actually appear on both? Right, they aren't actually conflictual. The models at their at the top of the the the, the header on them anti-vax, you know, must-vax look like they're completely incompatible. But what down below might be might be actually compatible and, and where, and where are the areas where the greatest, the greatest uh, uh, conflict exists uh, uh, underneath. And then it's just is to try what, what we call integrative uh, pathways. And we have three integrative uh, pathways. One is, one is a hidden, what we call a hidden gem. If you could just pick one from each and combine those, could you create a new model? We have a double down. How could you double down on one, push harder on that one in a way that gets you the benefits of of the other and the other is disaggregation, are actually these models both perfect for part of the solution and and so we should break the problem set in half and apply the two models uh, uh, to each. So there are sort of what we've learned over time is that integrative solutions seem to come in only those three forms we 've only found those three forms, uh, thus so we give you the forms and give you examples of of, uh, of those uh, those forms um, and and uh, and what we found is is that you can find integrative uh, uh, solutions um, and and uh, um, you know uh, i 've I've now have sort of great confidence that anybody over the age of five at least, can come up with integrative solutions if given the tools and, and sort of given a perspective on, on what's, what's your goal in, in life. And, and there's, there's a field of thought of it. If you haven't read them, you ought to, you ought to read Karl Popper or, and or Emery Lakatos, who both talk, talk about uh, justificationism and falsificationism. And uh, we are mainly taught to be justificationists, which is we're taught, as I said, that there is a right answer. Your job in life is to go from not knowing the right answer to the right answer. And once you've gotten the right answer is to defend the right answer against all comers. And again, if you just think about your education, to think back to virtually all of it is justificationist. And and your grading was was based on you being really a justificationist. A falsificationist says um, there are no right answers. they are just better ones and worse ones. And your journey should be towards making your answers better and better. And in that that, uh, world, once you get to an answer that you feel pretty good about, the only thing you should know for sure about it is, Someday a better answer is going to come along and obsolete your answer, but in the meantime you should you should use it and a falsificationist will look at disconfirming data as manna from heaven yeah. you know that's I mean, the way to to advance and so so you know it, it, if we could just you know, stop putting out justificationists one after after another uh, it would be it will be helpful to the
1: world. Um, Amen. And I think this has kind of helped us in in a lot of ways on certain elements of COVID, like having that open-mindedness, you know, not to have that justification uh, consistently because, you know, someone like in our intensive care units, we've changed dramatically our approaches to how we're treating our patients. And that's luckily because of having that open mind realizing that we might not know everything right now and there could be better and greater solutions here. Um, So I'm curious too, like, yeah, I, I, for what it's
2: worth, for what it's worth, I, I, I I'm of two minds on the handling of the, of, of COVID. Um, In my view, um, whenever we had medical people being, Separated from the practice, and and declaring on policy, we made errors, and whenever we had practice dominating, we made advances. Right. So when the CDC was proclaiming, "No masks are bad, 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 bad. You shouldn't wear masks. Then mask. You have to wear wear a mask." These are people far from the fray. I think pontificating. Uh, I think the people in the ICU at Ottawa uh, uh, General, I'd want to ask them. Like you're watching people die or not die, based on based on you did this versus versus this. What what do you think? What do you think was going on there? Uh, and so so I, I'm 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 a real, even though people would think, oh Roger, you're like you write all these books and all this stuff. You create theories, you're a theoretician. No, I'm a pragmatist. And so, so I, I would want them, the decisions made by people practicing, right? I, I, I mean, I know uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks did the best job they, they could, uh, but I would have rather had Dr. Fauci spending half of his time actually treating patients, clinically treating patients and half of his time on the task
1: force. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting perspective. Cause I, I, you know, here in Ontario, I do wonder how many f- truly frontline people are sitting on some of these committees uh, that are making decisions because I sometimes bet. the words come <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes the words coming <laughs> out. Are, are, and I'm like, this is not what we're seeing by the way, like in, in terms of this doom and gloom and and what we're seeing out of our patients and the outcomes and like, they're not always correlating with what's, what's being busted out in the media and so forth. So yeah, yeah, it's a, I think it's a very insightful, uh, uh, comment there, Roger. Cause, um, yeah, it would be, I mean, as a boss, I'd make sure there was some frontline staff in there. for yeah. yeah. And it's tough. It's, it's a, it's a tough job.
2: Uh, um, you know, and, um, and I think fewer people actually would uh, would embrace the job, and 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 because they know they are or aren't good at it, right? Mm-hmm. You know the the uh, you know many frontline workers don't want to step back and abstract from what they've done to say here's the general trends. They say I can do that or serve another patient. Mm-hmm. You want you want that patient to die while I'm abstracting? No. And so they so they're so they they're they're, they're sense of self and what they want is to say practice 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 then there are theoreticians who say "Ooh, god i don't want to i don't practice i don't even know how to practice but i want to theorize right and then there's a, a relatively small number at least in my experience a relatively small number uh who who want to practice and theorize about their practice practice theorize some more practice theorize some more Go back and forth. And it's those people that you want. So I wouldn't, I would not take, you know, kind of a random selection of frontline workers and put them on the committees. Mm-hmm. I'd be looking for the person who wants to go back and forth, who, who says, yeah, I want to create general guidelines that will, that will help people out and go on national TV doing that. But the only way I'm going to feel comfortable with that is if I personally am treating patients because the nuances here in something that's new and different are so, so delicate that I need to understand those uh, nuances.
1: I mean, Roger, I'm just getting a, a crazy epiphany here too. Two, two comments on that. Cause it's uh one, like I've, I've it, it probably, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I do like go on media, like, uh, news to talk about the COVID experience yes. and so forth oh, okay. and, and render opinion. And it, it occurred to me that, you know, it's be- part of the pragmatism from our viewpoint is because as an intensive care doctor, you actually have to use a lot of integrative uh, thinking and solutions because you'll have multiple specialists come up with their opinion on what they think yeah. is best for their patient. And you have to think holistically on what's the best approach. Same thing with COVID. If you do they gonna die. If they don't, they're gonna die. Like it's not like exactly. the stakes are low or something either. But <laughs> it's the same thing with our COVID decisions. Yes, you could just an extreme example shut down everything in your economy and all that stuff, but you have to ask yourself what is what is the consequences to that? Is that an acceptable uh, resolution? If you know your kids are, you know, not gonna be educated. You got delayed cancer surgeries and all that stuff. Like, that's also part of the puzzle, you know? And um, no, it just uh, it just really um, made a lot of sense, as you're saying, that kind of why maybe, um, you know, th- there's that element of pragmatism that we a lot of intensivists would have. Because, yeah, you are frontline, but you, but you also know that you have to have a holistic approach. Like, you practice that on a daily basis. Um, otherwise, as you mentioned, patients aren't going to survive. They're not going to have the, an ideal outcome. Uh, yeah, I just thought I'd. But share you that probably
2: the- you would probably probably say that that probably if you just lined up all your intensivist colleagues, you could probably line them up on the basis of who who would enjoy uh, abstracting back and saying here's here's what I think I would go go on. And who wouldn't? And and there would be there would be differences. And are are the ones who wouldn't bad people? No, they're not. They have a they have a reason reason uh, uh, for that. Um, but it was always for, for for me. You know, it was like it was always interesting to watch because you you may know enough about my background to know, like I was, I was just a business guy. I was a business guy who Rob Pritchard the then president of university of Toronto tapped and said, I want to make you the Dean of my business school. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about that. And he said, it'll be fine. It'll be (laughs) fine. So I I went and went went and did it. And, and I would, and I would watch, I, I, I would watch my academics who were great, who were fantastic, who were hardworking and everything, but quite a few of them just didn't ever hang out with actual kind of business people, mm-hmm. and and I just kept, kept thinking, how on earth, how on earth can they stay kind of on point with without without that? And people, and people often ask me, because, because I write so much, I've read 12 books and like 600 articles, and blah, 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 blah. they say, uh, you know, gee, how do you get your research ideas, Roger? And, and they're taking this perspective of somehow you've got to sit in your office and get a research idea, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and my reaction is, well, I've actually never once thought about the notion of a research idea, right? I just... Because I spend a whole bunch of my time consulting to CEOs, right, and and I just hang out with CEOs, and whatever they find out find is problematic, I think about and write about. That's my production pro- production meth- meth- methodology, and so so I don't I don't know how you can be a great theoretician without without being in in the middle of practice like i, I just I, I honestly I honestly do not know how you how you uh, you can and, and
1: like I'm getting chills thinking about this because you know in my I'm just, I keep bringing it to this line of work I apologize, but you know like no, even no. within our intensive care, like we have all these incredible researchers that have that have done you know creative really creative work, but in the land of intensive care we haven't moved the needle significantly on outcomes in years. Like, Is that true? Is oh, that- like literally, like you're, we're doing studies that, you know, maybe it affects absolute mortality by 2% and then you do a repeat study and then it's neutral. Then it's like all these kind of like minor tweaks in, 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 in therapies that have not really moved the needle, not made patients significantly more functional or wow. significantly affected mortality. And, but it, now that, as you're saying this, it's maybe it's a little bit, you know, most of the research is also practice intensive care, but maybe the, it, it's the, I don't know, too engaged into the, uh, into the research. Maybe it's continued to have that same approach to like thinking, because I, I, I've been preaching this. I'm, you know, I, I research, but I'm not a trials researcher. But I'm telling people, we need to think outside the box. Like, it's been 15 years before, since we've really looked at p- papers that have dramatically impacted mortality. And, you know, with technology increasing that we're not, in my opinion, not taking advantage of, we're not integrating other specialties. Like, we really need to think outside the box if we're going to move the deal. And the other thing I'll just say real quick, too, Roger, uh-huh. to your point about the, 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 the um, theory versus, uh, you know, practical. Um, and, and having that at the table, one of the, I think I, I can't, I still can't believe this isn't a central theme in our COVID discussion. Almost every patient that I'll see in the intensive care unit that's sick from COVID will have t- type two diabetes or obesity, almost every one of them. Really? And we, we and we still have not talked about an approach to try and mitigate that. And like at a policy level at an in, like oh, okay. imagine in ontario you're, i mean you're in ontario i mean over the summer when things were were really quiet imagine saying hey guys we noticed this is a trend amongst our di- amongst our covid patients let's promote getting outside exercising think about what we eat just reduce your processed food like think, like something a simple message and i can almost guarantee you, there'd be a significant change in outcomes amongst our covid patients but this never gets, like, I, I don't know if this is news to you, Roger, me saying this, but, like, it's Well, I knew there were comorbidities, but I didn't know
2: it was that high. I didn't know it was that high. Um, yeah, and it's, in <laughs> you know, the
1: medical literature, it's what we see, and never you hear in that kind of discussion. So, I guess what I'm saying is, what you're, what you're throwing down really hits home uh, as a as a doc, as a researcher, that really having that element mixing that pragmat, like uh, the theorism and, and being um and pra- pragmatism yeah pragmatism is so important and,
2: and it's and this sort of leads to yet another thing and i think i touched on it in in the in the uh the podcast that you re- referred to A shame, uh, yeah. is 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 this this sort of modern problem of kind of uh i think sort of abuse of, of the scientific method right which is oh
1: yes i which, love
2: this which is which is that you know the the father of science the guy who really brought the world the scientific method i mean it was formalized by bacon newton descartes uh, galileo uh, 2000 years later but it was really really aristotle who who whose great interest was in being able to determine what he called determine the cause of an effect so Uh, you know, he would, he would, he would say, well, if you, if you look at enough data about a phenomenon, you know, collect it, you can determine the cause of an effect and say, this causes that. And that's post uh, Analytica Posteriora or Posterior Analytics, probably the most important book in the history of science. Mm. That's, that's Aristotle for 400 BC, bright dude. Uh, And, but in the world, went into the dark ages and, and, and emerged scientific method, uh, age of enlightenment, and basically has charged forward and said, that's what you have to do. And, and we teach it, uh, Dr. K., we teach it in business school. We say the only good decision a manager can make is a data-based uh, decision. So you crunch the data and make your decisions based on the data. Now, if you go back to Aristotle, he had a different view. Right? Aristotle warned, he said, you know what folks, this method for determining the cause of a given effect is, is uh, only should be used in the part of the world where things cannot be other than they are. Right. So I have to illustrate it with a pen, right? If I have a pen in my hand and I let go of it, it's going to fall. Uh, it, it fell last week, hundred years ago, would have fallen in Aristotle's time. It would fall in Greece. It'll fall in Antarctica. It'll fall everywhere. Uh, And that's part of the world where things cannot be other than they are. Gravity will push pens down wherever you are on, on the, uh, uh, on the earth. Mm -hmm. And so why is that important for the scientific method as we, as we know it, right? Scientific method says get a bunch of data make sure it's a representative sample. You would know from statistics, you took statistics. Yes, the data's gotta be from a representative uh, uh, pool, right? You can't take data from only kind of sick people to say, does the, you know, you gotta take a, a representative uh, a pool to predict what the population effect is, right? So if the future data that we don't have yet is gonna be identical to the past data, then using the scientific method works. But what Aristotle pointed out that people ignore is there's a part of the world where things can be other than they are, mm-hmm. right? Where the future can be different. And in fact, he said quite lyrically in that part of the world, the job of human beings is to be the cause of a new effect. That, that's what you're trying to do with COVID, right? Right. You're trying to be the cause of a of a of a new effect, right? Fewer people dying that would otherwise d- die from from uh, uh, from uh, COVID. So I'm
1: having trouble conceptualizing. So you're saying be the be the the effect you want. So I want to reduce the amount of mortality amongst our COVID patients, and you are not going to do
2: that by analyzing past data, right? But he said in that world you've got to imagine possibilities and then choose the one for which the most compelling argument can be made. Right. And then you go try it. Right. Mm-hmm. As the world medicine and business has gotten more scientific, it won't try things that aren't proven. I see. Yes. And, and And what Aristotle said, said was, well, Essentially, well, I, my interpretation is, is essentially the minute you do that, right? You only try things that have been proven already, right? You will convince yourself that the future will be identical to the past and take actions that will make the future more identical to the past. Mm-hmm. So so what I, what I'd say is the only way you're going to get those out-of-the-box solutions, Dr. K., is if you imagine a possibility, say, listen, I've been, I've been in there practicing, watching people die, watching some people live, you know, da-da-da-da. And I think we could change this by doing the following thing. Mm-hmm. And because we haven't done that following thing, we'll have no data on that following thing but here's why I think it's a good idea. I've seen this thing in the past over here, this, this thing over there, I this thing it. over there, this thing over here. And that's why I think this may be a good idea. Let's try it. Yes. And you would be told, bad doctor, yes. bad doctor, you're not being scientific. Try it. Try it. How could you, how could you possibly say, uh, uh, try it? It yep. is not unlike <laughs> at all, go one day, how about we try this?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A checklist. How about we try this? Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that that moved the needle uh, uh, dramatically. But mm-hmm. it wasn't until you were trying checklists that, that uh, this, this, uh, this moved the needle. So you have to imagine possibility. You have to think about the future that you want. Now. Not all ideas about the future are equal. That's what Aristotle said. He, the, the second book that nobody's, nobody's read, uh, I've, I've yet only met one other person who's read, who's read this book in my entire life, uh, a book called Rhetoric, where he explained the methodology for the part of the world where things uh, can be other than they are. Right, and what he what he emphasizes the degree to which decisions in that part of the world come on the basis of intelligent discussion and argumentation. Mm. Now rhetoric now has been debased to view sort of well that's rhetor- that's just rhetorical to be sort of uh, you know baseless uh, kind of uh, uh, argumentation as opposed to what it was was an exalted thing in, in Aristotle's uh, mind. So what I'd want to have happen, right? at Ottawa general is, is you get together a bunch of your, uh, uh, intensivists who are treating COVID and say, I just want, I just want each of you to come to a meeting, come to this meeting with a, what a breakthrough out of the box thing. You need no proof of it because there won't be proof of it. If there's proof of it, I will, I will exit out as out, not out of the box. Right. There's nothing out of the box. Charles Sanders Peirce, a great American pragmatist philosopher, pointed this out once. No new idea in the history of the world has been proven in advance analytically. Duh. So you want to be the first, right? No. So if anybody comes with proof, any who comes to your meeting with proof, uh, they get booted out because, because that isn't out of the box. So all out-of-the-box ideas, and then you then you have g- argumentation. Each of you presents your idea. Uh, you get it critiqued. You get people to build on it. And you come out of that meeting saying, we're going to try these two things. And here's how we're going to try them. Uh, we're not going to risk all patients. We're not, if, if you, know, you know, if something doesn't look, look, look right, we want, but we're going to try these things in order to attempt to generate proof Right. Because the problem from a data standpoint of the next six months, the big problem of the next six months from a data standpoint is it's in the future. There is no data about the next six months. Mm -hmm. What's the good thing about the next six months from a data perspective? There's no data. In six months, there'll be all sorts of data, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. When, you, you, when you get to look backwards at the six months, it's chock-a-block full of data. And so what you want to do is, is imagine a, a, a breakthrough idea, put it into practice, and say, if the breakthrough idea works the way we hope it does, the data will look like this. Mm-hmm. Then after six months, you turn around and look back at that data and say, did it look like that? And chances are it won't look exactly like that but if it looks mainly like that then you'll tweak and 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 off you go so that's that's the exercise i would do dr k
1: roger this is exactly why i want you on the show this is like the beautiful framework for innovation you know thinking outside the box right like yes you have evidence of of uh, previous data that's showing that this uh, x this solution may be beneficial but you if, for you to truly innovate to move that needle you need to ask yourself what hasn't been tried and you know deduce with your colleagues come up with with these uh, these integrative and and intelligent and thought well thought out uh, strategies and say hey let's try this because I'll tell you in my profession you know it, i mean i I, I think I, I feel comfortable saying this. This is that approach is not well received. It is, it isn't. And this is what I mean. Once again, we're tailoring this show to young healthcare professionals. But them hearing this, I'm hoping once again you have that kind of framework and that green light to say, hey, you know what? It is okay to be trying to think about these creative and uh, solutions because I could promise you this all kinds of breakthroughs that have come through major breakthroughs that have come through in our line of work is using an approach similar to this. I could almost guarantee it. Um,
2: so here's, so you're excited about it. So here's, here's my offer, right? My offer is if you got a group of intensivists of the sort I described, no more than seven, more than you yep. probably, probably maybe five more than you so that you'd have between four and six, in a room, and they were given this task of just coming up with one breakthrough idea for how to fundamentally change what we do to serve COVID patients. Um, I'll facilitate the meeting.
1: You hear this? Hear that, Qualcast Nation? You hear that offer? I, I, I don't think we could say no to this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So,
2: you get, so you, well, what you got to do is get, get some willing people, and, and uh, it'll probably take kind of two or three hours. Uh, and, and, uh, each person will put their, put their idea on the table and we will, we will discuss it, uh, tease out the, tease out the logic of it and attempt to come out of the meeting with one or two things that you guys will, uh, will try.
1: I, you know whether it's COVID, whether it's liberating from a ventilator, whether it's getting people functional out of an ICU, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be taking you up on this offer, Roger, because I, I think even just watch walking through the process, I think would be so beneficial to, uh, to future docs. Um, so Roger, we're getting to the tail end of this, you know, you've worked with healthcare organizations, what were the what were the key concepts that you taught them? Was it, was it just the general principles of integrative thinking, or did you help them work through some of these solutions? Um, what was that experience like?
2: Well, sure. Like I, I, you know, in many respects, I do most of the integrative thinking work I I do when I'm say on a on a on a board in a more implicit than explicit way. And so, uh, when I was asked to join the board of Sick Kids, I'm pretty sure it was two thousand. A great man, David Galloway, who used to run Torstar, the you know Toronto uh, Star organization, was the chairman, and they had a big problem of on the quality committee. And you know how important the quality committee is—probably the most important committee on a hospital board. Uh, and he said, "It's just it's you know kind of the the." At, you know, atmosphere is, is terrible uh, you know the board members are sort of into sort of kind of nitpicking and blaming and recrimination and so the docs don't really want to come it's, it's sort of like showing up to be grilled and, and uh, uh, kind of and so it's sort of no fun they sort of have to but they beg off as much as they can and leave halfway through the meeting to say oh my beeper went off and whatever And he said so it doesn't work mm-hmm. okay so you know, my, my approach on things like that is to say, okay, right, the board needs uh, uh, some features of, of, uh, of this uh, because that's our, that's our job. The government is, is entrusted in the board, us in making sure there's a quality committee that ensures the quality is high. So we have some, the board has some needs. But all the 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 docs uh, who who come, the chiefs. It was the, it was each of the chiefs, and uh, in addition, to, uh, some some docs they uh, they come. Well, they've got kind of interests uh, too. One, they've got busy lives. They don't want useless uh They they don't want. To, they feel badly enough about a kid dying. You know, a, a baby dying in the sick, in sick kids or or bad results. They take it. Super personally, it's not like you have to beat them up and say you should care more about children. I mean, what the hell are you doing in this profession if you don't like they all? They all care deeply. So, so I just, I just, I just said, well, what kind of what would get both right? What would make it a uh, a, a productive experience for the board members, and what would make it a productive experience for for the for the uh, for the docs? Um, and I came to the conclusion. That that sort of learning would be kind of front and front and center if the docs actually came and 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 felt that it was it, they were learning about something that that would be great and they would get better if uh, if the board helped them, helped uh, create an environment of, of, of learning that would be that would be better. Uh, and so rather than just having a, we'll go through all the problems of quality in the hospital, uh, we had in every, every meeting, some of uh, somebody coming in and presenting nifty things that were done in the world of quality kind of, uh, worldwide, uh, either somebody internally having gone out and studied that or somebody, uh, kind of, uh, externally, uh, coming in and, and, uh, and I just kept the the recriminations down to, to an absolute, absolute uh, uh, minimum. If there are tricky situations, I said, let's and let's handle those off, off offline. Um, and it just became a, 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 I think a joyous experience because everybody always came. Um, the dialogue was, was great. Board members learned all sorts of things about quality from, from both the, the, the people bringing in ideas and then the doctors and the chiefs discussing, uh, discussing it. Uh, and it was sort of a love fest. Um, and quality was better and higher and our practices were more, more, uh, uh advanced and we were engaged people were totally, totally, uh, Engaged, and I, I, my hope is that now whatever, because uh, I, you know, I went off after ten years as, 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 as required. But uh, now, now a decade later, I, I hope the quality committee has that same culture, and that people, people uh, see it as a vehicle for learning, sharing ideas, so that we keep more babies uh, alive and heal them uh, uh, faster. Wow, wow! I,
1: I mean, I'm as I mentioned, I'm on the board over here. I might be bringing some of those concepts over as well but roger i i can't tell you how much i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and i know it might not be intuitive to a lot of our listeners but this i'm telling you if we apply these principles into our field of practice whether you are a nurse practitioner physiotherapist or an upcoming doc and a future leader this is what will get a uh, um really push the envelope within medicine and really move that needle as well i've been talking about so roger as a the author former de- dean uh you know board of governors member at, at uh, sick kids we on quadcast we just want to thank you this has been amazing can you tell people where they could track you down uh so i, I
2: do have a website that's organized all my my writing uh, i got convinced to do that a while back so that's just it's just www my name Roger L my middle initial is is uh, L for Lloyd RogerLMartin.com. L if you do roger you will get a, a very pleasant uh, uh, car uh, no real estate salesman in uh, Houston <laughs> who, and forwards things to me is very pleasant about it but it's ro- www roger L uh, com that you'll see everything I've I've uh, written and you can find your way to my uh, to my books.
1: Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for doing this, Roger. You are most welcome. Take care, my friend. Qualcast Nation, that was fantastical. You know what I'm saying? If you enjoyed that, please leave us any comments at qualcast99.gmail.com Leave a five-star rating. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at qualcast. Jump on our newsletter, jump on our community at qualcast.subject.com. All things healthcare solutions, all on one site. Y'all are going to love it. I can't wait to connect again real soon, y'all. So y'all stay safe and stay beautiful. Peace.